0: Listening to Gray City Portland. Good morning. How are you guys? My name is Simon, as as Gray mentioned, I think, and I'm the pastor here, one of the leaders. And uh, thanks for being here this morning. You guys look great. Feel good? Yeah? Look good. Sunshine helps, does it not? It really does. Yeah. Um, guys we 're going to jump right into it this morning, but before we open the bible i 'd like us to pray. Um, I really want to pray for the kiddos downstairs, so if you 'll join me, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather as your children. Um, Lord Jesus, we know that you make a priority of spending time with the little ones, that there is nothing any less significance. Significant about what they're doing downstairs, um, as, as compared to what we're doing up here. We pray that these little ones would have hearts that are, that are soft and open, receptive to the things that you want to say to them, that they would grow in their, their understanding of who you are, and that this morning they would encounter you. They would experience the, the very reality of your presence there with them. I pray for the teachers and the helpers and everyone involved in serving these little ones that you would, uh, work through them and that you would, uh, you would show yourself to them in all of the activities, show yourself to the children in the teaching and the games and all that they do this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Guys, if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and grab it, crack it open, turn it on, whatever you do. And if you'd like to borrow one of ours, we've got little boxes in the aisle here with some Bibles available. Um, those are always there for you. We're gonna begin in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, excuse me. Every once in a while I, I lapse, I lived in the UK for close to a decade, and they say things differently there. I just, I, without thinking about it, I say things like, Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah. That wasn't even close to British. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, what's that? <laughs> okay, uh, while you're finding your way there, um, Guys, we've been working our way through a series entitled, I Am, We Are. And the idea is this. We've been considering uh, what it means uh, to to be well, the well-being of the follower of Jesus and how when we make a decision to follow Jesus, to put our trust in him, uh, to obey him and to, to grow as his followers, as children of God, we begin to experience a new identity. Uh, Christianity is not merely a behavioral modification. It's it's actually becoming a child of God and that begins on an identity level. What we discover as we look into the scriptures is that in Jesus Christ, not only is God revealing himself to us, to creation, but we discover ourselves in Jesus. God reveals to us who we are meant to be. Jesus teaches us who we're meant to be like. And so as he is, so are we in this life, in this world. And that's the big idea. As we've been looking at the identity of Jesus, we've been discovering who we are. In Christ, and let me just add this, because someone asked me a really uh, good question earlier this week. They said, "Where do we draw the line between becoming like Jesus in terms of, of our identity and how we're to relate to God and, and to each other, becoming children of God, like Jesus, the Son of God? And where do we draw the line between that and like becoming God? Like because we don't ever actually become divine like Jesus. We don't ever cross that line. That would be really, really bad theology. We do not become divine. Um, and where do we draw that line? That's a phenomenal question. Um, I, would, I would say this. Like so much good theology, you know you're probably on the right track You're probably finding that right tension when you're walking the tightrope of paradox. When Jesus calls us to become like him, to be holy as he is holy, to be generous as he is generous, to take responsibility as he has taken responsibility and yet never actually becoming gods, because that would just, that would be to completely miss the point. If we could become our own gods, we would have just died for ourselves, which we can't do. And I I told this individual, I said, here's where I would definitely draw the line. I'm called to serve you like Jesus, but I will never, ever, ever die for your sins. For sure. Are we in Isaiah yet? Okay, let's read this. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 to 5. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our sins, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. If we go to the next slide, please. The title of today's message is I Am We Are Wounded. The God of all creation, the sovereign creator and king of the universe. Not only entered into his own creation, thus becoming one of us, but even more profoundly, he suffered with us and for us, even bearing the marks of his wounds so that one of his own might finally come to believe in him. Can we go to the next slide, please? I know the lights kind of washed it out a bit, but is that familiar to anyone? It's the the famous painting by the early 17th century Italian painter Caravaggio, entitled The Incredulity of St. Thomas, or better known as Doubting Thomas. And it's the scene of Thomas putting his finger into the side of Jesus. You may recall in the Gospel according to John, Chapter 20 How it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, who was also known as the twin, wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus initially came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And in John chapter 20, verse 26, it says, Eight days later, the disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you've believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Our God, the one who bore the punishment for our sins, who suffered and overcame death in our place is both our warrior king and our wounded healer today. He is our wounded healer, and we are the wounded who've been touched by him. He is our wounded healer, therefore, with him, we too have been commissioned to bring healing to a wounded world, only not as those who have somehow managed to avoid Pain and suffering, but as those who, like our King, still bear the marks of wounded people. We are a people who are standing and yet are learning to walk daily in the power of His grace, as those who are healed and yet those who have been wounded. This is what Michael Gorman, the uh, American theologian, refers to as inhabiting the cruciform God. Finding our identity in the wounds of Christ. We are the healed, but we still bear the marks of the wounded. One of the greatest paradoxes of them all. Anyone got any cool scars in the room? Anyone got so like not so cool scars? Yeah. Um, something about being healed and yet still living with the effects of the wound, still bearing the marks of that moment, that event, that one time. Um, anyone ever broken a limb in here? Yeah, a few of you. It's the best. I mean, there's like breaking a limb and then there's like breaking a limb. I'm not talking about like the the gross kind where the bone pops out. Like we're we're not even going to talk about that. (laughs) But when I was in the seventh grade, I broke my leg. I've told this story many times. It's therapeutic for me. I broke my leg jumping on a trampoline, just like the one we have in our backyard. There was three of us jumping on this trampoline, and this is not helping the cause in my home. We have three little ones who love to jump on the trampoline. But I broke my leg on this thing, as if the seventh grade weren't awkward enough already. So I had to wear this cast for like six months. And of course, I finally got it off, and then I wore like like um, you know like one of those Darth Vader boots for like another... 10 years, (laughs) so I limped around my middle school forever, and I finally got it all off. Of course, I still limped, because that's what I had been doing for like nearly nine months, and to this day, I still limp, actually. To this day, this foot is about a size smaller than this foot, and I think it's had all sorts of weird knock-on effects on my body. Um, but the doctor assures me that this bone is definitely like the strongest bone in my, in my body. That's what they say, right? Once you've broken a bone, it heals stronger than, than ever before. And yet I limp to this day. And I share that because I think it's an analogy of how when, if you have met Jesus, if you've experienced any form of healing as you've endeavored to get to know God, to experience a new life in Jesus Christ, you will experience healing. He, he is fundamentally the God who heals. He is the great physician then and now. And yet, though you've been touched by the healer, you will still bear the marks of the wounded. You will limp to this day. And of course, you might be thinking of the story of uh, Jacob, the Old Testament, he was the, uh, the grandson of Abraham, the father of our faith, and he had this encounter with um, God in the middle of the night. It's a, it's a, we won't go there today, but this epic story of a brother who's about to come face-to-face with his big brother who at one point in time wanted to kill him. And it's this, this big climactic moment, and he ends up meeting God just as he's about to cross over this little river and come face to face with his brother again. He wrestles God. It's the angel of the Lord. It's this weird sort of Christophany. It's kind of like this glimpse at Jesus who will come. And he meets this, this mysterious Christ-like figure. And they wrestle all night. And then eventually, as, as the day is about to break, the, the mysterious figure says, let me go. Give up. Give in. And Jacob says, never, not until you bless me, and so it says that Jacob was touched on the hip and it dislocated his hip. And so he eventually walked away. He became Israel. He became who God had destined him to become. He received a new identity, but it said that he limped from that day on. And it says the children of Israel were to, to never eat the sinew of the thigh bone or the, the, the place where Jacob's hip was dislocated so they would remember That although Jacob became Israel, he always limped from that day on. And that's a picture of when we encounter Jesus and experience a transformation, a healing, though we are changed, though we might experience a freedom that we never imagined possible, we're not meant to walk away perfect people. We walk away with a limp with a scar to remind us who we were and who we are meant to become. Healed, yet bearing the marks of the wounded. Walking in the power of the Spirit, yet always with a limp. What does this mean regarding our identity? And what does it look like to bear the marks? Of a wounded Christ. What does this mean for us in terms of identity? I have a few points. Four, actually. Number one. A reminder to love. Let me ask you this, though. I'm going to read a passage, an absolutely phenomenal passage, out of Revelation chapter 2. Are you thinking about a wound... That you walk with? Are you beginning to, to, to get an idea? I just want to make sure you're tracking with me. Um, because if this is only in theory, this that's it's just we that's not the point. Have you experienced a degree of freedom in Christ, and yet do you still find yourself walking with a limp? Is there an area of your life where you've, you've experienced healing and yet you're like far from perfect in that area? And have you ever even wondered to yourself, is it that I'm, is, is, is something wrong? Is, is God like withholding something good from me? It, it, is, it my, is it because I have sin that somehow I'm being punished? And, and you wrestle with these thoughts, you struggle with these emotions because you know that there's promises galore in the scripture that in Jesus I have been set free and that I should expect a, a life that's, that's unlike anything else that this world has to offer. And so you wonder like, what, why am I still limping? Why, why am I not just perfectly whole? Why do I still bear this scar? Why am I inhabiting the cruciform God? Jesus, post-resurrection, still bore the marks of his wounds. So think about where, where, where are you limping at the moment? and How are you doing with that? What, what, how, how are we supposed to make sense out of that in terms of our identity in Christ? Number one, your wound is a reminder to love. Revelation chapter two, verses two to five. You know, in the book of Revelation, there's uh, several letters that the spirit of God leads John to, to pin. Letters to the seven churches. And the first one is to the church in Ephesus. Um, and it's a, there's, there's more to the letter, but the, the, the spirit says, I know your works, writing to the church in Ephesus, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you were enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That's like sort of apocalyptic speak for if you don't knock it off, I'm going to take my spirit away from you. Remember from where you have fallen so that you might remember to love. The Christians, the believers in Ephesus were passionate about truth. Uh, The the letter goes on to say something about the Nicolaitans. This is kind of slightly obscure group of, of, of quote unquote Christians in the first century that were uh, propagating this sort of idea, this doctrine of moral compromise, saying that you can be a Christian, but hey, you know, it's all about grace, so you don't have to bother living like Christ, i.e. repenting when you sin, uh, exemplifying God in your morality, in your body, in your sexuality, in your habits, in the way you're actually living your life, which is false because we are to be holy as he is holy, and we talked about that. So he says, great, you're passionate about truth, and you hate evil, like I hate evil, is what the Spirit is saying, but this is what I have against you. You have forgotten the very first and most important work of all, and that is to love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen so that you might repent and begin to love again. Walking with a limp is one of the best reminders of who you once were before Jesus began to change you. Because it's not easy. I mean, rather, it's not hard to get to that point in our lives where we feel like, man, I've got, I'm all cleaned up now. I know Bible verses, I go to church, I'm finally tithing, I'm just, I'm, I've, got it all, I've, I've got it all figured out. I'm finally righteous, I have arrived. And it's funny, once you arrive, you also become a total jerk. And you begin to talk down to people, you begin to uh, look at people as if somehow you were above them because they're still struggling with the things that you also used to struggle with in your own way. They're still sinning in ways you also used to sin once upon a time. And so God wants us to remember from where we came from, from where we fell from, so that we might love. It's a painful but helpful reminder my wound is a side thought my wound will probably be your reminder see this is one of the the important aspects of community uh, because sometimes it's not just your limp that's meant to remind you to love it's my limp that's meant to remind you to love because it's my limp that is just going to annoy you like nothing else I recently had someone, just a couple days ago, uh, someone in the church, they're not in the room, so I'll talk about them, uh, very kindly uh, give me some feedback. And they said, Simon, you know, I just have to share this with you, but I think you're super annoying and you talk too much. (laughs) Dead serious. Just like that. I was like, wow. And I'm thinking inside, like, Mm, like I've got you think I talk too much like let me I've got I've got several things I want to say to you right now (laughs) I've got a whole lot of stuff I want to talk about right now but here's the thing that was so hard about it it came from a person and bless this person like this I'm not trying to be harsh right this is an example but okay so I talk a lot I know that like I'm totally aware of that it's, it's why I somehow managed to find my way up here with the mic, like I love Jesus and I talk a lot. This person talks way, way more, way more. And it's their insecurity that causes them to see my struggle in a way that really just annoys them. This is, by the way, if you are forever planning on getting married, and you get into marriage counseling, this is like marriage counseling 101, all right? Just tuck it away, note to self. You laugh now. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. But the thing, when you get close to a person and their little idiosyncrasies or sins that annoy you to no end, it's, it's a mirror. It's quite likely the the thing that you hate about yourself. It's the thing that you loathe about your own personality or your own brokenness. My wound is your reminder not to hate me or to get annoyed with me or talk down to me or judge me, but to love me, to help me, to speak truth to me, to be patient with me, to remind me to love me, number two, your limp is to be a source of deep humility. Um, this next passage is actually on the screen, second Corinthians chapter twelve, verses seven to ten. So to keep me from becoming conceited, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and he just this is this is connected to a very long thought, but he's talking about these surpassing revelations that, that he's been having. I mean, God God was speaking through him to actually pin scripture. Okay, the Bible. Pretty big revelation. And he's saying, but so to keep me from becoming conceited. Prideful because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. Super, I'm struggling with my words. Super ambiguous. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse eight. Three times I pleaded, I begged the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am Strong. That wound, the mark of the wound that you bear, that limp that you walk with, it's meant to help you from becoming conceited. It's meant to keep us humble. It's why I think Satan comes to me and causes me to fumble in my words because I'm just so awesome in my preaching and he's just it's God's way you're not even laughing <laughs> you're like yep that's yep that's exactly what's happening <laughs> deep humility number 3 grace on display For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with wickedness, insults, hardships, persecution, etc. For the sake of Christ. The world needs to see. We all need to see. What does the power of God look like in an actual normal human being? Like a broken person with wounds who's still in the process of healing. What does the grace of God look like? On display, what does it feel like in real human terms in relational interaction in like real time um, Shirley and I I was thinking about this uh, last night, one of the coolest things we ever did while we were living in London. Um, we went to the dennis severs' house. do you remember that it's they, it was um, you can look you can google it dennis severs it 's this old like 18th, early 18th century home, right in the middle of London, that has been completely untouched for like almost 200 years. You step into this place, and it's like you've just walked into a time capsule, but it's described as a living portrait. Um, you could, you can, the smells are still there, the sound, you can sit, hear like horse hooves clomping outside, uh, a half-eaten meal still steaming on the table, and you sort of self-guide yourself through this house, looking at everything, taking in all of this, the, this. your senses, and you're meant to actually experience something very real as opposed to just standing from a distance and looking at a still photo or painting. That's a picture of the Christian life. We are meant to be Portraits of God's grace. Living displays of God's power at work in our weakness. Think about the thing that you wish would just change. Believe me, I've prayed more than three times. Maybe 300 times. God, take this limp away. I I, I don't, I actually, I don't want to say like I've got proper like body issues but I hate that my feet are like deformed (laughs) I remember one time I used to keep a blog remember when people did that (laughs) and uh, I used to write a blog and I'd get a few hits and one day I don't know I was in a weird mood and I thought oh I had this whole little like spiritual metaphor going on to do with like my deformed foot so I posted a blog called my deformed foot thing just like went relatively viral it was like the one the one blog entry that people actually read like what are people googling out there (laughs) because I hate it I hate it and I've 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 asked God to heal my body and to take this thing away so that I I can just not feel self-conscious about this limp of mine but I'm pretty sure God has said no um not now My grace is sufficient for you. Um, This is going to help you to remain humble, and it's going to be an opportunity for, for me to put my grace on display. People need to see what my power looks like in weakness. Not your perfection, not your aptitude or your progress, but my power in your weakness. It's for the sake of Christ that I have not healed you in this way. And number four, that we might have fellowship with Jesus. Paul, in writing again, this time in a letter to the believers in Philippi, he's talking about how he used to be all that, and he was this great religious leader, leader of the the Pharisaical party, this religious movement in uh, in the ancient Near East. And uh, I mean, he had it he had it on lockdown. He 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 had really perfected his religious game. And then he encountered Jesus. Jesus literally knocked him off of his high horse, and he went blind, and he had to get healed, and and yet he had this thorn. In his side, we don't know what it is. I've heard all sorts of theories. I've read all the commentaries. Um, It's it's quite ambiguous. But he's talking about all these things that he once had, and that how now he considers them all rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. And this is what he says in his letter to the Philippians, chapter three, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, the koinonia of his sufferings, being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter eight says that we are children of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. There's something about God desiring to commune with us. More than anything else, God wants relationship with you and I. He wants to be reconciled to his children. Jesus describes it like a a, a son who, who left home, took everything, took it all for granted, squandered it all, and then one day woke up in a pigsty, came to his senses and thought to himself, I've got to go home. And all along, his father had been watching the horizon, longing for the return of his lost son, the son who he'd counted dead, finally came home and it says the father ran to him, threw his arms around him, wept on his neck, put his robe around him, put the family ring back on his finger and welcomed him back home and threw a party. And this is a picture of of how we're meant to see ourselves and, and how God sees his lost children. We are his children and he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die. For us to suffer for us that we might repent and come home. He wants fellowship. He wants to know us. There's something about suffering. You know, I, I, we all we I think we all know this when I when I say this, but we have like this major philosophical problem with suffering. I read books about it. I wrote my my final. Uh, dissertation at seminary in london on the uh, uh, what are they what's it called a theophany a theophany um theodicy thank you who was that <laughs> thank you theodicy yes i did that one and uh, you know what i realized <laughs> after god only knows how many hours into the project uh, it's really really complicated there's like no end to it. People will just continue writing books about it. But most of what we are, are, are thinking about in terms of how can a good and all-powerful God allow suffering to go on in the world? How could, how could that be like adjusting? It's a philosophical conundrum. The scriptures don't really seem to have much of a problem with it at all. So evil is a reality, suffering is is, is part of the human experience. Jesus died to ultimately overcome evil and, and the root of all suffering. We won't experience final and complete healing until he returns and completes the work that he started. But in the meantime, he calls us to suffer with him. He calls us into it. That we might not suffer without hope, not suffer without meaning, not suffer alone, but suffer with our king who's already suffered for us. It's not a problem. And we're invited to experience a deep communion with God as we suffer with him. I know we all hate suffering. We, like Paul, typically in our our weak moments, find ourselves begging to God, take it away, take it away. Please heal me of this, change this about me. I don't wanna be single anymore, I hate it. I, I feel so lonely, I feel so insecure. How long is this going to last? When will you take this away? Sometimes God does heal us. And other times he says, no, not now. My grace is sufficient. Now suffer well, suffer with me and experience a fellowship that you will not experience any other way. As we limp through this life, as we bear the marks of our wounds like Jesus, we're meant to have fellowship with our king. I've, I've preached on suffering many times. I've preached through all of the classic arguments for why God allows it. And I think there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of helpful truth to talking about free will, to talking about redemption, talking about all the different angles that we can sort of think through in terms of how we grapple with a good and powerful God who allows unjust suffering. But at the end of the day, it is part of the world we live in. You will suffer, whether you're an atheist or a follower of Jesus. I guarantee you, you will suffer in this life. The question is, how will you do? What will you do as you suffer? Will you suffer with a good and powerful, just king who comes along, alongside of you? Who suffers for you and who's always, always with you in your pain? Or will you do it alone? Can I invite the band to come up, please? Guys, we're going to take communion now. And uh, I realize that all I've done is kind of stir the pot. I read a tweet last night. It says, a wise preacher will leave his people with more questions than answers. Isn't that frustrating? I want to, while we were worshiping, I felt like the Holy Spirit put like a little little picture in my mind, and I'd love to kind of close on this thought. Uh, it's not an answer, as it were, but it's a picture. Um, Josh, can you join me on stage real quick, please? Yeah, it's an illustration. It's what I would call a prophetic illustration of how we're called to suffer uh, like and with Christ. This is a part of our very identity as we find our identity in Jesus. You know when Jesus was suffering and, and walking um, up that hill to be crucified, and it says that he was forced to carry his own cross, only he couldn't do it. I mean, he'd already been tortured and, and, and beat so severely that he literally could not bear the weight of his own cross. And so it says there was a man named Simon of Cyrene, who the, the Roman guards just picked out of a crowd and said, You and there's a lot of details about the guy. They they, they even the, the scriptures name his two sons. Like this guy was known. And they said, You get over here. Help this man carry his cross. Because we don't want to touch this guy. And so this is how we're meant to suffer. Oh, you're tall. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> we can't carry our cross alone. Jesus couldn't, and nor can we. We are called to suffer with our Savior. It teaches us, it reminds us to love, it teaches us humility. It allows God to put His grace on display. And it's how we fellowship with our Master, it's how we fellowship with one another. Are we swaying a little bit? That's oh, yeah. no. <laughs> <sighs> right. This is how we're called to bear our cross. This is how we're called to suffer. This is how we suffer well with hope as we find someone to walk with. Guys, this is, this is why, and I reckon this is why all churches sort of bang on about small group, small group, get in a small group, make a friend, get to know someone. I understand it can all feel incredibly superficial at times, but there's real purpose behind it. There's deep Meaning if we're gonna follow Jesus and actually experience his life, which includes suffering as he suffered, bearing the marks of his wounds as we limp along through life as healed sons and daughters going into the world to proclaim new life in Jesus, offering the healing of the wounded, we do it together. We walk together arm in arm some days you're going to feel strong and you're going to be like, man, I've just, I need to go find someone to lock arms with because there's a very good chance that the per, person sitting next to you is about to give up and they can't carry that thing any, anymore. The weight is just crushing them. The loneliness is just overwhelming and they need you to come along and be like, man, put your arm around me. No, I'm not going to let you go. I know you want to give up. So did I last month. And we walk together. This is what suffering well looks like. I actually like this guy a lot. (laughs) Thanks, Josh.